the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. So, here we are at the fourth Sunday in Advent, which means Christmas is next Sunday, and I start getting a particular anxiety about Christmas presents. So, because it's founded in something real, when my kids were little, in elementary school, basically, um, I, I had this habit of buying everything on Christmas Eve, because... When you get to Christmas Eve, there's not so, as many choices to make, right? There's just a couple of things. You get them, you wrap them up, and you're done. So this was my way of dealing with the anxiety of Christmas buying. And um, one Christmas, we had a family funeral that disrupted all of that, and there were no big presents under the tree. And one of my daughters just started wailing, but Mom, you had all year to buy presents. And I was like, oh, that's so true. So now the way of dealing with it is I just buy way too much, which I, and I start thinking this is terrible stuff. It's just really bad presents. So I continue to buy all the way up until Christmas. So I'm doing this. I'm kind of looking through you know, Amazon or other sites trying to find, I think I was on a site called the 10 best Christmas presents ever, right? You can't go wrong with that. Um, and up pops this thing that made me laugh that really relieved all of my anxiety. It was this great, huge, handwritten, black and white sign. It looked like it had been written with a big fat Sharpie. Um, it was tacked on a telephone pole, and this is what it said. Ohio Avenue Neighbors. I put a cute love note on what I thought was my wife's car last night. We figured out today that in my tired state, I had put this note on the wrong car. If this car happened to be yours, I apologize for the confusion. I am not in love with you. <laughs> and then there's a little teeny sorry on the bottom. I am not in love with you, sorry. So it kind of makes you wonder if he went home to his wife and how that went, where she's like, get out now, post a sign. Um, but it also made me think about this guy this week. I don't know if you've been keeping up with this. Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced FTX guy, the founder. Um, I bet you he's wishing he could put a big note somewhere that says, hey, investors, sorry for that crypto bit didn't work out, right? <laughs> um, apologize for the $32 billion confusion. Um, sure you're not in love with me. Sorry. Um, but really, what a what a bizarre story. He's imprisoned in the Bahamas, and he, he really hit rock bottom when the giving pledge, I don't know if you've heard of this, but this is Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and a, a lot of other billionaires who have pledged to give away 50% of their wealth in their lifetime, and he was part of this club. Um, but I don't know if you remember that old Billy Preston song, Nothing from Nothing is Nothing, you've got to have something to be with me. That's basically what they told him this week, and he was kicked out of the Billionaires Club. But you know, we've all had moments, moments of disgrace this way, right? Just not as public as Sam's moments. Um, and I, you know, it made me think back to an indelible moment, a moment that I've remembered for many years. I'm not gonna tell you how many years I've remembered this, but um, you know, those, those little moments that stick with you. This was actually at camp. I was at camp watching a Disney movie and the Disney movie was called Follow Me Boys, and it was Kurt Russell's first movie, and um, uh, Fred McMurray was the, was the dad in it. He was a, a scout leader, you know, from My Three Sons and all that, so he's wonderful, and Vera Miles was in it. Um, so right in the middle of the movie, though, Kurt 
um, Kurt's dad, he's been really kind of iffy about his family, and they're, all the scouts are showing off what they've done. You know, they've, they have this big display where they're doing knots, and they're putting up a pup tent and all of these things, and all the dads are clapping. And then in comes Kurt's dad. First of all, he's kind of tipsy. He's carrying a bunch of ice cream that is melting, and he's trying to get over all the other dads, and he falls on the dads, and the ice cream goes all over, and Kurt is just mortified, and he drags his dad outside, but then they pan all the family faces, all the dads' faces, full of pity, full of disgust. What a terrible, terrible thing. And here I am, eight years old, and I just start crying. I don't know why I'm crying. It honestly takes about 35 more years for me to know why I was crying, because I know that my family was different that way, and I couldn't put a finger on it. I knew that we had a house like everybody else in our neighborhood. We had cars, we had clothes, we had jobs like everybody else in the neighborhood, but it felt different. My family felt different, and I couldn't tell anybody about it. But I had also just cried in front of my eight-year-old eight friends, and um, that was embarrassing on its own, which probably made me remember that too. But we've all had feelings like this. They're feelings of what, what the text today describes as disgrace. You know, maybe you've made a mistake, made a bad decision. Maybe you've been fired or lost a job sometime. Someone broke up with you, or maybe you just can't seem to keep a significant other, or you're a product of divorce, or you've had a divorce. A loved one has an addiction or a mental health issue, or maybe it's even you that makes you feel like you can't share your real life with people. So maybe the people around you, your teachers, your parents, your friends, your siblings, have really high expectations of you, but you just know you can't seem to pull it off. You've messed something up, whatever that thing is, but it feels disgraceful to you. Maybe you seem to always say something weird when you're around other people, and it makes you feel distanced from people. You know, this time of year between Thanksgiving and New Year's is also a very deep time of loneliness and grief for people because as the world is celebrating, you know, sometimes there's some deaths involved. There's also loneliness and isolation. It makes people feel out of step with what's happening. Or perhaps something in your past is threatening to derail your current life. Something that is looming that you would rather is never talked about. As if you've used up all of the grace that Jesus has had for you, or that you don't measure up to the grace of God. So whatever it is, I have good news for you. You are in the right place. You're not alone. We are all fallible humans here. The gospel embraces those who have nothing to offer instead of kicking them out like the billionaires club. As Mark 2.17 tells us, this is not a place for the sinless or the perfect, but rather a hospital for the disgraced. We tend to think of the nativity as a quaint romantic story. If you happen to see our, our pageant last week, there was tinsel all over everywhere, but it's a very beautiful story with the, the kids tell in that. It's a beautiful virgin, the stalwart Joseph, the beaming child. But Matthew this week really tells us some of the rawer parts of that. The disgrace of Mary, of Joseph, and the baby. Disgrace is human judgment wrapped in rejection. Mary is disgraced by being pregnant, and notably not by Joseph. 
Joseph is disgraced by being engaged to a woman who was having someone else's baby. And the baby is disgraced by being born in a stall and then having a feed bin as a bed. In the height of this disgrace, the babe Jesus Christ fulfills the promise of Isaiah 7 that we heard today. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So what does it mean for you today that to know that God is with you? God is with us. God does not wait for us to get good, but is present with us in our disgrace, our loneliness, our nothing to offer. Our disgrace attracts Jesus' grace. We are weak, but he is strong. You know, the season of Advent is a time when we are pondering the coming of Christ, not just as a baby, but in the second coming. We know that the baby born of Mary has come to die for us, to lift the heavy burden of sin from our souls. Fleming Rutledge wrote, the resurrection is not just the appearance of a dead person. It is the mighty act of God to vindicate the one whose very right to exist was sought to have been negated by the powers that nailed him to the cross. So the powers of disgrace did not keep Jesus from being born, and they could not keep him in the grave. Jesus is with you in your disgrace because he carried it to the cross once and for all. In John 16, he promised, in this godless world, you will face trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He has covered your disgrace with grace. The Emmanuel is with you when you can't get it together, when you're judged as inadequate or weak, when you don't get the right presence under the tree, or you feel overwhelmed by the expectations of others. It's unfathomable, it's unthinkable, it's unbelievable that Christ promises to be with you no matter what. And yet, and yet it matches our experience of amazing grace. Grace that is with you because Jesus' kingdom is exactly something from nothing. Born in Bethlehem in disgrace so that you would never be alone in yours. Amen.